Iconic makeup artist. Beauty industry revolutionary. Entrepreneur. Bobby Brown is all these things and so much more. Throughout her career, she has crossed paths with some of the most accomplished people at the top of their field. These conversations are a look into their inspiring lives because everyone has a story. This is Long Story Short with Bobby Brown. Today on the podcast is my friend Mindy Grossman. What I love about Mindy is she is tough as nails, she is brilliant, she has done so much, and she everything she does, she changes. I also love how much she loves her family and how raising a family and having a business is not separated to her. It's one and the same. It's her life. Here's my conversation with the one and only Mindy Grossman. Well, I don't know how, I guess I originally met you through our dear friend, Alicia, Alicia. Valencia, who's had quite a journey too. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's there. It's so, for me, it's so interesting to have met all these great women who are incredibly successful and have, you know, different things happen in their careers and also have, you know, families. And life. And life. And, you know, when I was like a younger working woman, there wasn't a lot of us. So it's become very popular. And I think you're one of the, you know, the, the role models for so many of us. It's different, especially to your point about family. Mm-hmm. So Joanne Lublin, who wrote the book, Earning It, which is about women of the generation that started everything. She's writing a new book and she's interviewing many of those women and their daughters And then she's interviewing this new generation of both entrepreneurs and women CEOs who are just having kids and what the difference is. And if you think technology, Mm -hmm. we didn't have technology. I'd be in China. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm lucky if, you know, my daughter would have the patience to talk to me on the phone. Like there was no FaceTime. There was no means of communication. Um, And to your point, you know, I couldn't imagine – you know, I don't know if you follow Amy Nelson, who started The Riveter. Mm-hmm. She just had four girls under the age of five, travels all the time for business, entrepreneur. Her business is growing. And she is the most honest out there about, you know, being able to do everything and the support that you need to do. And it's pretty raw. Stay-at-home husband? But Does she have? No. No. Okay. No. Wow. And just what that that's yeah. like. Yeah. No, I've raised three kids and, you know, I don't know how I did it looking back. And the times where, you know, one came down with chicken pox and I had to be live on TV in the UK and you just get on a plane and do it. And then you get right back yeah. home. I it's was amazing. telling someone earlier that when I worked for Nike at a place in Portland, Oregon, My husband, daughter, and the nanny were in New York, and I was out of the country 30% of the Uh. time. And to your point, you figure it out. But I remember landing in China, and we're on the bus going to whatever it was, and the phone rings, and it's the school nurse Mm. that she is not – and I had to figure it out from China. Right. So you end up tracking everybody Well, you had a cell phone, or you didn't? I had a cell phone. Okay. I had a cell phone. Okay. Was it one of those big ones? No, by that point, it was a flip okay. phone. I started yeah. with one of the big ones. Well, how old is your daughter now? 
She'll be 30 in March. And she, she had a big she, wedding. She just had her second baby, <gasps> July 11th. Oh, my God. I missed two. it. I heard about the wedding. <laughs> I heard about the wedding. Congrats. Yeah, Emma's two and a half. And okay. Hannah Lee is. So what? tell me what, it's, what is it like? Because my kids are not engaged yet. They're both, a couple of them are on the verge. What's it like being a grandma? You know, everyone said to me, oh, it's going to be so fast. It's going to be so different. It's going to be this. And I kind of was like, yeah, you know. There's nothing like it. And it's not just because you have this beautiful, small, new personality. Mm, You're seeing your child through a completely different lens. Yeah, You're seeing them through a completely different lens. And she's a fantastic mom. I even said to her, you're much better than I was. (laughs) I doubt it, but she learned from somewhere. And since I only had one, watching... Right. Her with a second, mm-hmm. you see the difference between the first and the second. And is she a career girl? No. No. Okay. She she is. Yeah. She has wanted to be a mom since the time she was this big. Mm. And we were walking one day, and it was right after she found out she was pregnant with my first granddaughter. And she said, you know, Mom, you sent me to Horace Mann. She goes, tough school, but the one thing they tell you is whatever you decide to do, you better be the best at it. And she goes, I'm going to be the best at it. I'm going to do the research. I'm going to become, you know, at some point I'll be able to take my knowledge and impart it. And it's interesting. You know, she was in the beauty business before working with the company that helped brands who were going on shopping TV. Uh Yeah. So she worked across a number of different beauty brands. Oh, wow. Well, she definitely learned from her mom. So – you, your name in my circle is huge. I mean, women always talk about you as their role model. You've helped. You've mentored women. You know, I, I could I could name you know five to ten people, and I think that's amazing. But I want to hear the story. Like, like who are you? I know you are now CEO of Weight Watchers, and Oprah brought you there, right? Um, there's a whole long story behind right. that. Okay. Um, You know, whenever I kind of talk about my experience, I generally use the expression, I'm the accidental CEO. I did not grow up in a family. My mother actually wasn't able to finish high school because her mother got ill. My father did, but then went into the Air Force. Um, I was an adopted kid. My parents originally would never have been able to adopt me. They got married in 12 years. They tried to have a kid. And the gentleman my dad worked for loved him and didn't just could sense his pain. And my father worked nights in the produce business. My father used to go to work at 11 o'clock at night and come back in the morning. I was the only kid whose father got to pick them up at work. Uh, I thought it was fabulous. And he just handed my father a check and said, uh, go adopt a child. And I'm the child. Wow. And so I always remember – Knowing that, and I was three days old when I was adopted, and I remember that I was pretty serious as a young age. And I think part of it is was this realization that I'd been given something that a lot of people never get or never have the opportunity to get. Um, And if I don't do something with it, I've wasted it. And I felt a responsibility both to my parents as well as to myself So I quickly um, tried to rush through school. Fortunately, I was a good student. Mm -hmm. And in thinking about what I wanted to do, 
I didn't have a CEO role model, certainly not a woman. And I said, okay. Um, I think when I was about seven years old, I had to go in front of a judge. It must have been a final something with the adoption. And the judge it was a woman. And she was the long robes and the whole thing. I go, that's what I want to be, not knowing why. Right. So I said, well, I'm going to be a lawyer. I went, I'm going to be a lawyer. And um, I finished high school as a junior, went right into college. And it was that I was rushing. I don't know why I was rushing. And where'd you go to college? I went to Manhattanville College and I went to George Washington. Um, got engaged when I was 19. And then in Is my last semester. No. No? Okay. Last semester of my senior year, uh, my whole life changed when I woke up one morning. And I'm sure it wasn't one morning, but mm-hmm. I, uh, and I said, this isn't what I want to do. And in one fell swoop, I broke my engagement, said I wasn't getting married, decided I wasn't going to law school, and told my parents I was moving to New York City, uh-huh. and I was going to figure it out. But that I wanted something more creative. And so I moved to New York in 1977, looking for a job, and ended up starting in the menswear industry, thinking that I'll move to New York for a couple of years and redefine exactly what it is that I want to do, and then either go back to school, did I need to get an MBA, whatever, and never left. Um, Mm -hmm. But I talk about that story in that moment because people ask me why I've taken risks or, you know, why I'm willing to do or see things maybe that other people wouldn't want to. And I said, the reason is, is that moment clarified for me. And look, you've been a risk taker. So Mm -hmm. I'm talking to somebody like myself. Not taking the risk is sometimes more risky Mm. than taking the risk. But also understand the difference between risk and suicide and what you're going to do at different points in your life. And... You know, I ended up spending the first 18 or so years of my career in the menswear industry and worked for an amazing, eclectic, um, different group of people from Jeffrey Banks to Willie Smith to Tommy Hilfiger to Ralph Lauren um, and have very, very different experiences and started mostly in sales. But in those years, if you were in sales, you were also part a merchant. Mm. And I always say to people, I think the reason that I did so well in sales is I never sold anything to anyone. I tried to anticipate people's needs mm-hmm. and fulfill them. And I think to this day, I'm still trying to do the same thing. You know, what what is that? And in today's world, it's more important than ever, especially because people expect things like personalization and a different relationship with brands and businesses. So I think, you know, that ended up serving me well, um, but kind of had to figure it out on my own. And so I don't really know much before Nike. So your job before Nike, was that at Polo? So I spent 10 years in different capacities with Ralph. And then before that, I uh, was with Tommy Hilfiger and before that with Willie Smith. And it was interesting because Cooper Hewitt is about to do a retrospective on Willie and Mm. well-deserved. And the years that I was there before he passed away from AIDS, unfortunately, were some of his most creative. Mm. Imagine one of the first designers, and it's more commonplace today, Mm 
to do collaborations with artists such as Barbara Kruger and Keith Haring, and you never knew who was right. going to come across. He believed that fashion came from the street up, mm-hmm. not couture down. It was when you know street active was really becoming something. And in addition to Willie, uh, James Mishka was one mm-hmm. of my men's designers, John Bartlett. So I was literally in mm-hmm. the throes of creativity um, when this whole new genre was being created and men were starting to mm-hmm. kind of gravitate to a different way of dressing. And then after Willie uh, passed away, I was approached by Tommy Hilfiger, who I'm still friends with to this day. And, you know, everybody knows it's a multi, multi-billion mm-hmm. dollar company today. It was, you know, about a $36 million company and mm-hmm. big investors had just come in. And I went to head up sales and merchandising. It was a great experience. Um, and then, you know, Ralph kept a- approaching me first to go be president of Chaps Ralph Lauren. And I said, no, you know, Tommy's doing so well. And I finally realized that there were going to be very few opportunities for a woman to be a president and CEO of a menswear company. Maybe there were two of us, unless you were the designer, um, like Donna or something like that. And I had a vision for what I thought it could be. It was a division of a company called Warnico. I made the move. Everybody thought I was crazy. And we were able to take the business from $23 million to $250 million in three years. Oh, my doing gosh. Well, and created this whole new concept of main floor collections and men's. Um, but I didn't like the culture of the company. I'd been there three years and said, this is not where I want to be. Uh, came home one night and said to my husband, I'm resigning tomorrow. <laughs> Thank God he's a very patient man and yeah. understands me. I said, it's going to be okay. It's the right decision. And that's what I did. And I tell the story that when I... Uh, announced I was uh, resigning. Actually, the CEO was a woman, interestingly enough. She said, you're either independently wealthy, you have another job, or you're stupid. I said, or D, none of the above. And huh, good for you. I was escorted out by security. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know? Going home, going, what did I just do? But best decision mm-hmm. I ever made, and I tell people this all the time, especially when I talk to younger people, you've got to be somewhere that aligns with your values. Mm. Because if not, you're almost complicit, but you're ultimately not going to be successful because you want to be surrounded with people that have that mm. sense of value well, you're not going to be well. happy. And you're not going to be yeah. happy. And it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. Mm-hmm. And two days later, Ralph called me and said, we're really sorry you left, but if you're going to work anyway, we want you to be here. We don't actually even know what we want you to do, but why don't you come in and head up new business development? Uh, and I did, and I worked on three different concepts, but the one that um, was – everyone was very excited about was Polar Jeans Company. And we I did the licensing deal and they asked me to go over and uh, take over as CEO. So- And that was your first CEO job? That, well, I you know, I was president and CEO at uh, Chaps Ralph Lauren, but smaller business. Right. This was really starting something mm. that was gonna scale quickly. And I always say I have such respect for entrepreneurs because I've done a startup, but I didn't have to spend most of my time raising capital. You know, I had the capital. But what's beautiful about it is you do start with a clean slate. Um, And I'm the person that loves legacy brands more than anyone else. Um, But I was able to build systems and, you know, really – 
build a completely different infrastructure that most of the other brands had in those days, and whether it was field organizations or merchandising organizations or in-store shop development. Um, it was really exciting, and to build the team and build the culture. And we went from zero to $450 million in a few years, mm-hmm. and we're going to prepare to take the company public. It was part of Sun right. Apparel. But Jones New York came in and acquired the company in uh, 1999. And I realized that it wasn't going to be the same. Um, Stayed for about a year, you know, obligation. And then I got a call from someone named Phil Knight, who is one of the greatest mentors anybody can have. I've been fortunate in working for a lot of entrepreneurs. So what's what's he like? You know, Phil really understands culture and brand and similar to Ralph, it's more important what you say no to as a brand than Mm -hmm. what you say yes to. And you know this Mm -hmm. more than anyone else as well. Um, And also diligence and people and relationships. You know, he's pretty discerning and tough, um, but he's he's really human. And if you've read any of his books about his stories. Um, and he had come back into the company in 99, a uh, company he had come out in about 97. The company started having a lot of issues. And he came back to build a new executive team and get the company back in growth mode. And they had never had somebody out of the apparel industry running Mm -hmm. apparel. Mm -hmm. They'd always have somebody out of footwear. And certainly no one from New York and fashion and and all of that. Um, But I had always loved the Nike brand. And so it was an incredibly exciting opportunity for me, you know, multi-billion dollar business, global Working there, it's like getting an MBA in marketing over a period of time. And that amazing campus. It's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I just was there last year again. Huh. And it, it's it's like Disneyland yeah. for athletes uh-huh. <laughs> and more. But I turned the job down because there, for many, many reasons I couldn't move to uh, Portland. And in credit to, to him, they called me back and said, we really want to make this work. Can you make it work? We will do what we can to figure this out. And I remember talking to my family and saying, look, what do we have to, what do we have to lose? I want to make this work. Thinking that maybe I would keep that arrangement for mm. a year or two and somehow six years mm. went by. But it was such a galvanizing six years because in addition to running their global apparel business, you're working on an Olympics and you're working on a World Cup and you're working on a you know, World Swim Championships, right. whatever it is. Um, I also, in addition to men's and kids, had a real focus on the women's business, both to the consumer, and then I started their global women's leadership council, which, you know, I say to people all the time now because it's so topical, um, the whole conversation about diversity. I said, I've been talking about the power of diversity since 2000 Mm. and use that really as a platform for sustainable business. So it's more important today than ever. Um, But to be able to be part of that there was incredible. But after six years, it, uh, you know, I had to make a decision. My parents were getting older. And I said, okay, 
Uh, but your husband never moved? No. Never moved? No. But did he come visit? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It wasn't like five days, four right. days. I mean, we had very crazy, eclectic. Right. And I've always, you know, I'm a believer, and part of this goes back to what was it like? You know, I never, ever believed that you needed to bifurcate your personal and your business life. You have one life. It's complicated enough. Right. So, you know, I took my daughter to the swim championships right. in Barcelona or um, the Tour de France or the summers there. And we just worked it out. Right. We just worked it out. And there were times where it wasn't easy and, you know, you have those moments. But um, as long as everybody's in it together and you're figuring it out together, you can make it work. But I ended up... Uh, Finally sitting back and Mark Parker, who still is the CEO, became CEO and Charlie Dance was president. And I'm like, um, I'm not getting that job tomorrow or ever, whatever. Right. And I said, I'm I'm really ready to, to take move to Florida. On. No, no, no. I wasn't expecting <laughs> to move to Florida, actually. Yeah. I was pretty specific. I said, I, I if I'm going to leave, and mm. I, I say this to people all the time too. And when you work for Nike, you absolutely are like top of the mountain. You're the cool kid, yeah. you know, you're doing this. Um, but I knew I wanted to do something more disruptive. I was looking at a lot of businesses that didn't realize what was happening in other parts of the world, like Japan, like Asia, mobility, content, behavior change and how people were consuming products, content, et cetera. But do you go to a headhunter when you're looking for a new? Like how do well, you get what your... happened is I was I was getting all these calls and finally I said let me let me do this. I'm a big believer in making lists, mm -hmm. obsessive making lists. I said, I'm going up to my house in the country, which is my, like, happy place, mm -hmm. right? And I'm just going to make a list on what's really important. So um, I did. And that's when I wrote all these things, you know, uh, mobility, content, changes to consumer behavior, entrepreneurial but with scale, um, you know, something that could be reimagined. And then I said, I need to be back in New York. And, you know, mentioned it to a couple of a couple of people and got a call from one of the headhunters saying, okay, I got it. I got exactly what you want. You need to go have lunch with Barry Diller and you need to go run IAC retail. I said, okay, that's great. What the hell is IAC retail? I had no idea. I'd never heard of HSN or QVC at the time. Uh, and, you know, it was a direct-to-consumer retail portfolio, uh, including six catalog businesses, the HSM business, a business in Germany, multi-portfolio. So I said, I'd love to have lunch with Barry. I'm interested in what he's doing at IAC, but give me two weeks. I have to have an opinion about this. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I did, and I became obsessed with everything in that period and started watching and reading and evaluating everything and said, there's a huge opportunity here mm. to change it from a selling network to a storytelling network or what I used to call editorial program commerce. And you know from the years of being there, you're telling your story, right? right? And it's kind of like growing up in sales. What are the needs of people and how are these products servicing those needs? And then who's telling the story? And I said, it's almost like if Food Network, HGTV, DIY, and Style 
now started selling their products. We'll do it in the reverse. Mm. Saw Barry, and he said, go forth. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget the day it was announced that I was leaving Nike to go do this. My Everything blew up. People thought I was insane. Well, because it's, you left Nike to go to HSN. Correct. It's, it's not like you went for to work with Barry Correct. Diller. And it wasn't where it was, you know, when we had yeah. built it up and everything. But, you know, I think those are the biggest opportunities. Um, when you see something and you see a possibility and you see an opportunity that others don't see mm -hmm. because you come to it from a very different experience. And... I didn't have traditional retail experience. I didn't have the media experience, digital. But I came at it through my experiences to see it through a different lens. Mm -hmm. And I was the because that's very entrepreneurial of you. Well, like, I've only worked for entrepreneurs, right. so I kind of call myself yeah. an entrepreneur, right. however you want to define it. Um, and that's that's the most exciting thing. I I, I love either growth or reinvention or transformation. Um, and it's all around understanding the environment and the consumer and what people are really looking for. And I always say you need to give them something before they know they need it. You can't find that out in a focus group. You have to see what's happening in culture and what's happening everywhere. And so I worked for Barry for two years and then took the company public in 2008, which talk about resilience. Um, but it ended up being a great opportunity because it proved the resiliency of the business model and cash generative nature and the ability for that business model to be sustainable even through difficult times. Um, and he owns QVC now also, right? Not anymore. They, oh, I thought they merged. Well, now they merged. I'm we very took confused. The, when we took the company public in yeah. 2008, IAC was out. Okay. And we were a separate public company. So Barry wasn't involved with the business mm -hmm. since that time. And, um, you know, it's interesting because obviously QVC and HSN, fierce competitors. Um, but Liberty, who owns QVC, owned part of HSN because of the legacy from when it was at IAC and John Malone and Liberty. So it was kind of an interesting situation where your largest competitor owns 38% of your business. Mm. And so the idea that a merger could happen was had been floated in the ecosphere for many, many years. Um, and I loved so much of what we were doing, but was getting ready to put a CEO in and I was going to potentially become chairman. But I kind of knew I wanted to do one more thing. Mm. And really in the last two years, I was Only there. one more thing? Well, Maybe the next thing. One plus. The yeah, next thing. The next thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't imagine you ever not yeah. doing I will something. Never, I will never stop. Right. I'm it's sure you're friends with pets. my friend, Mickey Drexler. Of course. Of course. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but I had really started looking at where businesses had to pivot, mm -hmm. even the current business, and really saw everything that was happening in the health and wellness space. Um, and it really had tailwinds. Mm-hmm. And the big part of the growth economy. And 
I started actually speaking around the world and this idea that brands of the future are going to have to marry technology plus meaning, whether it was in creating products or creating conversations with consumers to help them live better lives, and said, this is an area that's really interesting to me, um, if I can find the right, the right scenario. And I had seen that Oprah had joined um, WW, Weight Watchers at the time, in October 2015 as a 10% shareholder and board member, and thinking that was really interesting. But the second part that I really thought was interesting was the whole company um, positioning wanting to go from just being the global leader in weight loss to having a more encompassing impact on people's lives. Mm -hmm. And that's what I thought was interesting. It's never thinking I'd be at the company. Um, Did you? Were you ever a Weight Watchers? My first Weight Watchers meeting, I was 14 years old on okay. Long Island. Yeah. So, and you know, I had a mother who struggled her whole life, had her first heart attack at 50, and you know, I just really felt the brand had had such a discernible impact on people's lives for 56 years. No toxicity, but really needed to move forward in terms of relevance. Well, there was a lot of diet foods, right? A lot of prepackaged. Yeah, which now, I mean, the other thing I realized, you know, in joining the company was one of my biggest jobs was to myth bust. Right. Right? There's a beauty of having, you know, this legacy mm -hmm. brand. So people would go, oh, you have to eat the food. No, we don't make the food. So is fruit free still? So the program which obviously is backed by years and years of science, um, every food is evaluated on calories, nutrition, fats, sugars, and satiety. Does it, does it fill you up? And to that point, our freestyle program is now, there's 100 zero-point foods. And then depending on your height, weight, gender, age, et cetera, you get a point value of what you can eat during the day net of those. So all fruits, all vegetables, chicken, fish, shellfish, corn, beans is a whole plethora. And that's all zero? All zero. So can you then have vodka and just eat the zeros? That's the whole point. Okay, no, good. I'm kidding. Just checking. <laughs> Do you know the number two tracked food uh -huh. is wine? Yeah. It's wine. Because uh, people save yeah. for their wine at dinner. Um, but What's yeah. the number one tracked food? Well, Number one track drink is coffee. Uh -huh. Two is wine. Number one track food are eggs because they're zero points. Mm. And number even two, with the yellow, they're still zero. And number two is bananas. Huh. They're both zero. How could and you how would could, think though? Why you? I can't eat zero. bananas yes, and lose weight. Look, I no, can't. Okay, nobody ever got unhealthy eating bananas. There's okay. so much sugar and carb in it. Yeah, but nobody's going to eat ten bananas. But it's, right? it's more, it's like more. I, I it goes back to that satiety thing. Yeah. Look, that huh. does not mean you should sit and eat 92 bananas. Nobody's going to do that. So there are certain foods that are trigger foods for people. Right. And most of them are not healthy fruits and vegetables, mm -hmm. right? It's like nobody ever really got unhealthy eating grilled chicken breast. Right. Just not happening. So You can't but, overeat grilled chicken breast. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But it's healthy and it's good and you can make it more delicious. But the whole idea is that in today's world, and this is what really attracted me. You know, I started speaking with the members of the board. I flew out to California. I spent a day with uh, Oprah saying, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And she said, number one, you know, 
this is less about a diet and more about sustainable behavior change, which is really what we're trying to do, um, is enable people to really adopt healthy habits that are going to fit into their lives. And in today's world, nobody wants deprivation. Nobody wants to extricate themselves from society to eat in a corner because you have to eat food. You want things that are going to fit into your life. But you also want a partner that's going to both inspire you and teach you. And from the day this brand was conceived, Jean Neidich, it was about eating to lose weight and bringing community together. And fast forward, those are still two of the core elements. But what we realized is that in today's world, people want more. And it's not just a number on a scale. And we don't even ask people um, or give people weight goals. We say, what does healthy mean to you? What are you looking to accomplish? And we give them the tools around nutrition, around activity, mindset, motivation, and personal support, as well as the support of the community, whether that be our digital community called Connect, or whether it be the 30,000 workshops a week taught by 16,000 people in wow. the field. Um, and that's what people are really responding to. And, you know, I, I've gotten, I knew going in, and it was part of it, but now that I've been at the company for two years, I almost feel a profound responsibility because the reality is that we're spending more money on wellness mm -hmm. um, and we're getting unhealthier. So you see an economy in wellness, which includes you know, beauty and it includes food, it includes all these other things, from 3.7 to 4.2 trillion, check. However, if you really look at what's happening, and this is not just in the US, it's everywhere. Um, obesity is at an all-time high. Diabetes is at an all-time high. Obesity is now the number one contributor to cancer. It kind mm -hmm. of came up there. And you know that has an economic effect. But more important, it has a human effect. And our feeling is, and you know, one of my big passions for joining the company was you know, yes, I am responsible to deliver a financial return on equity, but if I can also deliver a human return on equity mm. and focus on that, I'll deliver the financial return on equity. But there's a lot that we had to do um, in terms of investment, in uh, technology, in our brand, in showing up in a more relevant way of accelerating So it's not Weight Watchers anymore. It's WW? It's WW. How could you not be – it's like telling Kleenex – you're doing an okay job, but we're going to change your name. Well, Like Weight Watchers. You have to look at it two ways. And there is no one that takes legacy more to heart than me. But in today's world, the name is a blessing and a curse, certainly blessing for its heritage. But if it's just stigmatized as weight and judgment, it's not going to be relevant to a whole new audience. Um, and we did a lot of research around this. And the idea is that WW mark, we want it to be the mark of this is healthier for you. And the tagline is wellness that works. But then how does it roll off the tongue? I could say to a friend, you know what, come September, I'm, I'm doing Weight Watchers. 
You don't say I'm doing WW. No, plenty of people are now. They are. They okay. are. It hasn't. It hasn't rolled off my tongue or my circles. Yeah, you know, I think maybe that the younger we kids. We grew up with it. Yeah, we grew up with yeah. it. Um, and it's not like I slap anybody's hand if right. they say it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it is legacy mm-hmm. and things. Dunkin' you know, Donuts is DD now. Take time. You right. Know, things <laughs> change. Yeah. Women's Wear Daily is WWE. Right. Yep. Exactly. Um, but. You know, it it really is about how we show up. And so, for example, we have the first WW Freestyle Cafe Healthy Comfort Cooking at Barclays Center. Um, Has that opened yet? Yes. That's it's so exciting. really good. It's and really so good. What, and doing I've never well. I've actually never been to the Barclays Center, but what kind of food? You can come with me Wednesday. I'm going to oh. see Mary J. Blige. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, if I was not going to tell you right, I'd yeah. be going. Um, wow. So Chef Eric Greenspan, who was always known as the king of comfort cooking, he needed to get healthy. Right. And what he's done is taking his same approach to delicious food but make it healthier. So you could actually get chicken tenders, tacos, healthy mac and cheese. Wow. But all in a very new and different way. And then in the rest of Barclays – um, in each of them, we have a menu item that has the WW that is like, okay, this is better for you. The other thing that we did in, you know, I started at the company and said, the first thing we need to do is really do the work to say, what do we want to be? What's the impact we want to have on the world? What's our purpose? What's our strategy? What's our vision? And when we came out with that, that we inspire healthy habits for real life, people, families, communities, the world for everyone. We created a purpose filter, and you've always been fantastic at this. You have your own purpose filter that you put everything, and you won't put yourself, you know, out with something unless it services. Oprah's like that. You know, I very much believe that. And we realized we put every product we made, um, every program we did, every partner we had, and we realized that. Even though we didn't make food you have to eat, we made food products, so snacks and other things. None of them fit. And we said we're getting out of 100% of all the products we sell, and they are going to be reformulated or recreated Mm -hmm. or developed, and it will be all our new packaging, and nothing will have artificial sweeteners, preservative, whatever. That's a clap. So in one year – Every wow. single product starting this January, and we've been now scaling up because right. we had to get out of all the products, and now yeah. we're scaling up. What'd you do with them all? We home shopping. We had no. to get yeah. <laughs> really. We we had to you know we had a yeah. strategy to be yeah. able to get out of all the products, but the difference is night and day. Number one, you know we're actually in many countries around the world and we weren't showing up consistently as a brand. We didn't have that same. And, you know, from all my years at Nike or even all my years at at Ralph or, you know, what you do, um, when you go into a country and you see Nike, you know it's Nike before the signs on the door. Right. But it's locally relevant. Yeah. So how you show up in Brazil versus how you show up in China versus how you show up. In, and that's what we need to do. We need our brand to be globally consistent and locally relevant. Well, I'd like to volunteer for the tour of France. Weight Watchers France. Let's see. How many points is that? Do you know how well they're doing? It's one of our really? fastest growing markets. Really? It's a really creative team. They've done a great mm. job. The brand is very wow. relevant. Um and they've done really unusual 
collaborations and um, really cool. The brand's doing you know nicely there, and you know not every country was at the same place, mm-hmm. right? In the development, we didn't have a global brand center. We needed to hire a global chief brand officer and build the teams to be mm-hmm. able to do this and reignite the culture against a new vision. And you know, similar to my conversation about Phil, you know. My belief is if you're looking to transform a business, there's certain things that you must have. You've got to have the alignment and support of your board. And before I joined, you know, I was very clear on that. You have to have investment dollars to do what you need to do within reason. Right. You have to have an aligned culture against what it is you're doing. And you have to be resilient. Because mm-hmm. it's not always going to be straightforward and linear, and you're going to have to make adjustments along the way, but you can't lose sight of what your ultimate vision is for the for the brand. That's amazing. I have gone back to school to become a health coach. And so, you know, for me, it's all beauty from the inside out. And it, honestly, I, I think that with what you got, are doing, it is going to change the world. And there, there is such issues and problems, you know. I mean, people are not well. And I think it's a lot because of the food they eat. So this is such a major, yeah, major I thing think, you're doing. I think it's a combination of certainly what they're eating. But I think the greatest opportunity is behavior change. And understanding it's not, you know, what, what I have also found with, you know, in particular, obesity or weight, if you have another ailment or illness, it's something's been done to you where people have this perception if, and my weight's been heavier and my weight's been thinner, that you're doing it to yourself. Right. And it's not the case. People need the tools just like they need tools or they need a coach. Right. Um, or they need the power of community. So I spent a lot of time on what's called Connect. So we have about 4.6 million subscribers right now. A good two-thirds of them are consistently um, engaged with Connect, myself included. And the reason why our retention is at an all-time high is there are people who ostensibly have achieved what their goals were, but the community is keeping them to keep those goals, but more important, they now want to give it back. So if you look at most of our coaches in the field, they're people who've had success in the program and it's changed their lives. And are they all paid? Yes. They're all paid. Yes, yes. Part-time, full-time. But they want to help other people. And it's not that we don't have any people who didn't come from just being great health coaches or nutritionists, things like that. But the power of the diversity of that community is really important. And, you know, some people really want still today that human interaction and face-to-face. Right. Um, others want the digital. But we, the other thing that's really interesting, we just started a new division of the company. Uh, actually, Amy Weinblum had been Oprah's chief of staff for eight years. She's an executive producer. And that division is all around community activation, events, and created content. And we did 
our first kind of two events with this team, we partnered with a company called Daybreaker. Think of them as dance, health, wellness, morning events Mm -hmm. come together. And we did one on Global Wellness Day in LA in uh, July. And we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and we live streamed it globally. Mm. So imagine 6.30 in the morning, you're dancing, you're... I had Julianne Huff doing her whole dance fitness launch. And it becomes like a morning rave with no alcohol. Everybody's happy. Uh, And then we activated as well at Essence Fest in New Orleans, um, which also was wild. And you just see how people do want to come together. And there's a release and uh, a shareability of, you know, what am I doing for myself? And how involved is Oprah? She's been fantastic. You know, I mean, first of all, who wouldn't want her as a board member? Right. She has been an incredible um, ear and someone, and she's been very accessible, you know, as we've been going through a lot of our evolution um, and certainly at, at the board level. But more important, you know, where she feels that she can give her greatest impact is her voice. Um, and how can she motivate people to live their best lives and how to define what healthy means to them. And, um, you know, that's exciting. Actually, our fall campaign launches um, first of September. And she had invited a whole group of members to her home in Maui. Mm, wow. And it's their stories and her stories and, um, you know, what – what, what does it mean to right. kind of be healthy and live healthy? And, you know, that's very powerful. Yeah. Do you have some crazy vision that if only, like, you would want to just kind of snap your fingers and have? Like, would you want fast food restaurants? Would you want, you know, wh- where would you want the brand? I do think there's a very big opportunity in the healthy, accessible food space. hmm Um, I also believe, and I've said this from the very beginning, that I think in today's world, the power of authentic partnerships is very powerful because we can only do so much on our own. And how do we partners with others who have the same vision that we do uh, for the brand? So, for example, Blue Apron is our partner, and it's not just for our members is people that just want healthier options. Um, but definitely that WW mark, uh, for example, in Canada, um, we now have a number of different restaurant chain partners that have specific recipes and things like that. So, you know, if you look at our activity, Aptive is our partner, Headspace is our partner for mindset and meditation. And someone asked me, okay, Mindy, you know, what would success look like in five years? You know, and I said, success would look like where there is a major announcement that WW and a core slate of partners in both the business community, the medical community are able to announce that we have changed the health trajectory of the world. That's what success would look like. That works. You know, or at least have an indication Mm. that there's, you know, I I think I had a really emotional moment when 
I was reading uh, an article, certainly on youth obesity, but the fact that today's two-year-old, if something does not change, has a better chance of being obese and unhealthy than healthy when they grow up. And nobody wants that. Right. Nobody wants that. And how do we as a society understand that? But how do the right people come together and say, you know, we can do this much more effectively? And sometimes it, it could be people that on the surface may seem like competition. I call it co-opetition. Right. Um, you know, how do you take away the obstacles and say one plus one could equal four as opposed to zero? You're amazing and you're such a great role model. But if you could tell people that are listening, if there's one thing, according to Mindy Grossman, that they should learn or do that's going to change their life, what would it be? So what I would say from a business perspective, it's focus on making other people successful. And I say that all the time. From the time you have your first role – you know, stop making it about you. Because if you focus on developing others, making them more, your company is going to be more successful. And, you know, I know for me, I have to be passionate about everything I do. And I have this mantra, passion, purpose, and impact. But I feel that I've had incredible opportunities because of of that and the authentic relationships that I've built. And especially when you're going to do things that are not traditional and whether that's a startup or whether that's transforming a company, you're going to need people who are willing to take risks with you. And Mm. they're never going to take that risk with you if they don't think that you've come from an authentic place and that you haven't given of yourself without expecting anything in return. And I just think it's such a power. And, you know, I, I, I talk about that a lot. And what's married to that is acute self-awareness of your impact on others and, you know, how you're developing, what you're doing. So, you know, that, that would be what I would say. Well, thank you so much for coming here. Well, thank you. I'm it always was, inspired, uh, as always. No, I, your story, I could listen all day. So that was my conversation with Mindy Grossman. I'm going to be checking out WW as soon as I get home. And that's it for this episode of Long Story Short. If you like the show, tell a friend. Also, rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions for me, email them to askbobbybrown at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at justbobbybrown and let me know who you'd like me to interview, anything else you want to see. Thanks for listening. This is Long Story Short with Bobby Brown, a Gallery Media Group production.